Hey, hey, welcome to the Bullpen Sessions podcast, a podcast for driven insurance professionals who are looking to reach their full potential in their insurance careers. This is the place where we help motivated insurance professionals build the right mindset and tools to create more credibility with their target prospects. I'm your host, Andy Neary, former professional athlete turned insurance advisor. Each week, you will learn tips and strategies to help you execute a clear prospecting game plan every single week. Clarity creates action. When you're clear, you're confident. When you're confident, you're consistent. When you're consistent, you are unstoppable. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions Podcast. My name is Andy Neary, and this is episode 276. Today, I have Terrence Ogden joining me. If you are looking for a little inspiration, this is going to be an awesome episode for you. I had a chance to meet Terrence Ogden in a mastermind group I am a part of, and I wanted to let you hear his story. Today, Terrence is the founder of Project Grit, which is an organization that host challenging events like rucks and long hikes to challenge people's mental and physical limitations. But that's not where Terrence's story began. Terrence's story began as a drug addict who found himself in and out of rehab in prison, never looking to improve himself until one day he had a meeting with fate as he was getting into a car, leaving his last day of rehab. And I can't wait for you to hear his story of how he has come overcome one challenge after another to remain sober for well over 20 years and what he is doing today as the founder of Project Grit to help men and women challenge mediocrity, embrace difficulty, and unleash the power of teamwork. I wanted all of my insurance producers to hear this episode today because to win in the insurance business, you have to do hard things every single day because it, we are in an industry where it is easy to get complacent, where it is easy to think we can go it alone, but man, Terrence's story and what he's doing with Project Grit and behind his annual races, the Immortal 32 Ruck and the Top of Texas Eight Peak Challenge. You are just going to love this guy's story. So this is one you want to listen to when you have time on the car or on the treadmill because Terrence's message is both going to inspire but motivate you to avoid complacency. All right, let's dive in. Hey, hey, Terrence Ogden, welcome to the Bullpen Sessions podcast, my friend. How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Well, you and I met at a, uh, a brand builders group event that we're both a part of. And when I heard your story, I wanted to have you on this show. As I shared with you offline, you know, our target audience is, is insurance professionals, a lot of males, um, probably between the ages of 25, 45. And you said something during our conversation that really resonated with me. Um, and that was, we do hard things. That's actually a mantra we live by with complete game consulting. And it really stuck with me. And then you told me your story and I said, okay, I got to have this dude on the show. So we'll talk about your current venture today, which is project grit and what you're doing with those rucks and the challenges you do there. Um, but where I really want to start this podcast conversation is more of a background, you know, People get to know Terrence today. I'm guessing it's a much different version of a Terrence we may have seen 20, 25 years ago. Absolutely. So just take us back okay. to Terrence Ogden, late 90s, early 2000s. And that'll set the stage for you know where we are today. And we'll, we'll get into the details of Project Grit and what you're doing to help people just 
basically focus on mental and physical challenges to constantly improve themselves. Sure. So we'll go back. So uh, my background started, what got me to where I am today is I, I was a severe drug addict and I'd been in and out of jails and institutions. The last, this was, would have been March of 02. I went into a rehab and I wasn't planning on really getting clean. I wanted to get my, my act back together and get back up doing whatever I was doing. And I was at a rehab and it wasn't really going well for me there. The, the mentality there wasn't very helpful. And I remember I told myself, this is, I'm out of here. They asked me not to leave. I left anyways. And I remember walking out of there thinking I was scared. And, uh, I got down to the main road and I started hitchhiking back to town and I didn't have anywhere to go. All I owned was a backpack and a bunch of bad habits. I had probably about a week off of heroin and bare, fresh off, fresh off of everything. And I started hitchhiking, a car pulled over. It was a young lady and, uh, we got in and she had a 12 pack of booze beer in the back seat. And she had said, Hey, do you know where to score any dope? And my first, it kind of freaked me out. It was like, there was a crossroad put right in front of me. And within minutes, <laughs> minutes, like the first opportunity it showed up and, and, you know, I hadn't been with a girl in a while and I was like, yeah, she's pretty, you know, and I could go and, uh, the way I was at that time, I was I was thinking I was going to, you know, try to make some money off of her and get what I wanted out of the deal. We started driving and I'm scheming, planning, and we're going along. And I don't know, this little voice inside of me was like, if you if you take this path, we know where it goes. There's a strong chance you're going to either die or end up in prison. And, and we don't want that. And we're going and it's like. I was taking her to the dope house and I said, park right here. And I knew there, there just so happened the street we were on, there was an AA club there and I jumped out of the car and I went in there and that's kind of where it started. I'd been in and out of the AA before and I really didn't want anything to do with it. And at that time I was at my ropes in and, you know, I didn't, like all the God stuff, I had a real hard time with it at that time. You know, I didn't care about God and I didn't think God cared about me. I went in and luckily, I'm jumping forward a little bit. I, I, I ran into some guys that I knew were just as bad or worse than me. And there was one guy in particular named Kenny Baker, and he was my mentor. I knew that, that something was working in his life. And if I did what he did, maybe I could get what he got. So... I kind of tagged on with him and what me and Kenny started doing. He, Kenny was big into working out. Kenny was big into boxing. So we would go, we'd meet pretty much every day, lift weights, beat the crap out of each other, throw a steak on the grill and eat. And, and that's where like, it was hard for me to, to adjust to that and everything. And that's where it started. And me and Kenny from then on, we started a backyard boxing club and, we brought a bunch of guys in and then we started doing like obstacle races. We ran a lot. And I'd say about six years after that, 
Kenny got esophageal cancer and died. And I was kind of crushed because that was my community. And when he passed away, I was like, you know, I got to keep this going. And I started getting into doing, I hated running. And in that time of my life, if there was something I hated to do, I told myself I need to do more of that. For some reason, I hate it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to smash that. And we're going to, we're going to attack that and see what it is. And I started running. And like I said, I hated running. I never really ran. Uh, I started doing five K's, 10 K's half marathons, marathons. And I got to where I was doing 50 K ultra distance marathons and uh, trail runs. And I did that for a while. And I had, kind of got burnt out on the whole running deal. And I got introduced to rucking. This would have been like, mm. I'd rucked before. That would have been like 2014 maybe. And I, I was like, okay, this is more my speed. I can I can slap a bunch of weight on my back and uh, get after it, you know. And from there, you know, it's like my whole thing is always like the thing that, that helped me so much in my recovery was it was multifaceted it was like physical fitness trying to like read more adopting spirituality into my life and and learning how to deal with emotions my whole life i really only knew two emotions i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna f it or i'm gonna fight it you know and uh by when I started getting clean and I started talking to guys and I realized that there was a much deeper issue. And and that actually was the hardest thing for me to do getting out of my comfort zone. And which, it, which is for me has been critical to my growth. And uh, yeah. yeah let, I want to ask you, if you don't mind, I got some questions for you there. Cause we, we probably just covered a span of what, 20 years. It was, yeah. And close to it. And there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, you know, prior to that car ride, leaving the rehab center, you had gone in and out of plenty of prison time yeah. rehabs where, like you said, you had no goal of getting better. No, you, you were, you spent, you know, you served enough time in prison just to get back out to keep doing what you were doing. Right. What do you think was different about this particular car ride on this particular day? Where you made that decision, you said in the past, I didn't believe in AA groups, that screw them. What made you walk in and say, I need help? I think deep down inside, I, I knew that I'm going to die. You know, I knew that, that I've been in and out of all this so much. And I knew what, like, I remember, okay, I'll, I'll go back. Probably about three months before I got clean, I had... Uh, I had done a little deal and I got popped and I, I was, I was holding a substantial amount. It wasn't too much, but it was enough to keep me away for a while. And I remember I was happy. I was excited because I knew that I would be safe when I was locked up as, as fucked up mm. as that sounds. I knew that, that I was away from all the, all the, the crap that I got and I was excited about it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to make the best of this deal. I'm going to, I'm going to get everything out of this experience that I can. And after about two weeks, the charges were dropped and they let me out. And I'd love to tell you that I went and got clean after that. But the first thing I did when I got out was went and got high. 
Hmm. And it was probably three months later, I, I had saw, I saw a friend of mine out and I hadn't seen for a while. He had a cute girl with him and he looked real good. And I'm like, Hey man, let's go hook up. Let's go party, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he was like, no, nah, I, I'm, I'm, I've decided that uh, I want to get clean. And I remember I went and got high that night. And all I could think about was Henry. That was the guy's name. And how good he was doing. I was 31 years old at the time. And it's like, this dude's winning and I'm losing. Something's got to give. And then I started trying to get into the rehab. And I was like, I, I just, I need to clean my act up and then get my head screwed on straight and then get back after it. And uh, a funny little story that I remember the night before, I finally found a rehab that would take me in because kicking heroin is a really bad, it's, it's an ordeal. And uh, I had a ride the next morning and we were, we were in this, it was an abandoned house with a candle. And that was the last night I got high. And we woke up in the morning and he had a flat tire in his truck. And I was pretty resourceful at that time. And I, uh, so he didn't have a spare. So I went and found a truck just like his and took their spare, put it on his truck and he took me to rehab. And that's how, that was the beginning of my rehab stint. And, uh, that's just where I was in life. And when I stepped in at getting out of that car, getting in that car, it was like some voice inside of me said, you have two choices here, mm. death or life. And, uh, I chose life. You know, I think my, my version of, of, of what life is like in a prison is often through the lens of a movie <laughs> or something you see on TV. But what you said about a prisoner's mentality. I remember watching the movie Shawshank Redemption, right? And he talks about how when prisoners get out, sometimes the safety of the prison is actually where they want to be. Yeah. And, and it was interesting you said that. And, you know, it was also interesting that you just said how you actually relied on resourcefulness to get to rehab. Yeah. Where so many prisoners or, or people with addictions rely on resourcefulness to break away. Yeah. And that, that was very interesting. And I, I wanted, I'm glad people are listening to this because I think whether it's drugs, alcohol, uh, sex, you name it. I mean, a lot of people have addictions and that a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't know about, right. And a lot of people are good at hiding addictions and that's probably true in our industry, the insurance industry. And so, you know, your, your vision or your picture of what you had when you got in that car, leaving the rehab for the final time of dude, you've got two choices death or life, which path do you want to take? And you obviously made the right choice. Um, I think that's pretty impactful. I hope a lot of people heard that the right way. Yeah. Now I got a second question with this. So you, you take the right path, meet Kenny who becomes a mentor of yours. And then Kenny, unfortunately, um, succumbs to cancer. When you lost your mentor, were there any fears that you would regress because the guy that had helped you get clean or stay clean was no longer there. Absolutely. Uh, I was, I mean, I had a pretty good foundation in recovery at that time. And, but of course I was like, man, now that I lost my, my confidant, you know, what's going to happen now. And, uh, <laughs> the, I've always been the type, if I'm afraid of something, I try to go tackle it. And uh, that the fear of losing Kenny 
was, I mean, I felt alone again, you know, I felt like there wasn't, I didn't have that, that, that dude that I could just, he was, Hey, he's the kind of guy that would be like, uh, I got a body in my trunk. He'd be like, let's, where are we going to go bury it? You know, <laughs> he was that guy. And, uh, I, 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 ha- I still have those in my life today. Everybody needs a guy like that. And, yeah. uh, but I, yeah, I, well, I, there was a lot of fear in that because I didn't know what was going to happen, you know, but I, I, I believe for me, I believe that, that like the path is already written. I just got to make the choices along the way, you know? And yeah, I think you've been, you know, it's interesting. And I keep going back probably a step back before you got in the car, leaving the rehab, even going to rehab, all the challenges God put in your way that a lot of people wouldn't see as a challenge. Number one, you get a flat tire on your way to rehab. That would have been your chance to say, well, screw it. I'm, I'm not going. You get in the sure. car and within minutes of leaving the rehab, you're presented another challenge. And now God has thrown a really big challenge in front of you, which is your one mentor that you relied on to really make sure you stay clean is no longer there. What are you going to do? And I hope... I hope one thing you're proud of, if you're not, it's you, it's obvious since that day, you've made a lot of good decisions. And what I want to talk about is, you know, you just said something, and this is going to set the precipice of our conversation here, which is if I see something hard, I I just go lean into it. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, today you, you live outside of San Antonio, Texas, right? Right. In between Austin and San Antonio. And you're, a cabinet maker. Yeah. You also are the founder of project grit, which we're going to talk about. And before we get into the, 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 the foundation of project grit, you talked about how you and Kenny started a boxing club. You started rucking. What impact when you started leaning into those activities, where, how did you see yourself change? So physically, uh, I started putting on more muscle and I started wanting to eat right. And I started to, I just, I kind of got off on that whole, like by pushing myself the way that it made me feel. I mean, it's, it's like, I've done a lot of drugs. I mean, a lot of drugs and nothing is, is for me is as great of a feeling as when I, Hi, it's Andy Neary, and thank you for listening to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. Did you know the ideas shared on this show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you're an insurance professional and you want to turn your credibility into consistent client acquisition, visit CompleteGameConsulting.com and schedule a free strategy call. Again, that's CompleteGameConsulting.com to request your free strategy call. All right, let's jump back into today's podcast episode. I overcome an obstacle that I have always thought I'd never be able to do or the challenge that, that comes with that and overcoming that is just there's there's well there is something that feels good and that's taking another man through that and seeing them experience what you experienced one time that's the next level thing but having that experience to know that that I'm capable of doing a hell of a lot more than I think I can society says I can because uh, statistically I should not be here. I should not have the things that I have in life. And I'm not saying that, that 
I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I'm extremely grateful for where I am in life. And, and, and I, I busted my ass to get where I am. It didn't just come handed to me, you know, and, and all of that, by doing those challenging things, I've learned that about myself that I can overcome whatever comes in front of me. And, and if I fail and failure is always part of it, if I fail, what do you do when you fail? You get off yeah. your ass and do it again until you accomplish that goal. You know, I, I love that. You know, now I think that's a great segue into Project Grit, what you just said. That feeling I got when I started taking care of myself physically, started eating right, I wanted to be able to help others do that. Sure. And I've got to believe that's the foundation of Project Grit. And so, you know, what I love about this, this, this conversation, this part of the conversation is I have a client of mine who has used rucking actually as a prospecting tool. He has, he has taken a bunch of business professionals in his metropolitan city and started a morning ruck group, which has become a great networking opportunity for him. And so I hope he's listening to this episode because he's going to absolutely love this. So, okay. So you end up going on and starting project grit. I have a bunch of questions I want to ask about it, but what was the premise behind starting that organization? So originally it wasn't project grit. It was, it, it, this is how it started. I, it was always wanted to do something really hard for Texas independence day, which is March 2nd. And originally I was like, man, I'm going to walk from, I live in Wimberley. I'm going to walk from Wimberley to Gonzales where the first shots of the Texas revolution were started. So me and my son did a scouting trip to Gonzales to go talk to them and see what they do for independence day. And we get there and they didn't do anything. And I started seeing in this museum, it's where the come and take it uh, cannon is. And I started seeing all this stuff about a group called the immortal 32. And I was like, who are these guys? And how come I've never heard of them? I'm an eighth generation Texan. And they were, they were the Gonzalez ranging company. William Travis at the Alamo put out a call. There was 175 Texans at the Alamo and there was 5,000 Mexican soldiers outside the gates. He put a call in for the, uh, for reinforcements and the Gonzalez ranging company intercepted that letter and got it. And they took it to their leader, George Kimball. And they're like, Hey, what do we do? And George Kimball said, there's no question what we do. We mount up and we ride to the Alamo. And these 32 guys knew without a doubt that they were going to go die, but they did it anyways. They snuck through the enemy lines in the middle of the night. They got to the walls of the Alamo the sentries shot at him. One of the guys was hit. He started cussing them out in English. And that's when the sentries knew they were reinforcements. They let them all in. Six days later, the Mexicans attacked. The Alamo fell and everybody in there died. And I was like, wow, this is a hell of a story. I think, I mean, I think God put me in that position at that time to read that story. And I knew that okay, this is it. I'm supposed to go from here to the Alamo, which is a 75 miles away. And that first year we did it, we started walking and uh, it was me and my friend Keith Busby. And he was the only person crazy enough I could talk into doing this with me. And we, we had out, we got dropped off in Gonzalez. We didn't have a ride. Excuse me. All we had was our backpacks. And uh, we had a hotel room. We woke up at four o'clock in the morning. We started. And as we were walking, it, it starts off. It's this beautiful country road. It's Highway 90 and goes towards Seguin. And it was gorgeous. Weather was great. 
all these locals started stopping and we had a Texas flag and a come and take it flag. And uh, these locals started talk, stopping, said, are y'all doing the Mortal 32 route? And we were like, yeah. And they, so we started getting all this history of, of the locals and they, they were like super excited that we were doing this. And we get to this house about, I'd say 25, 27 miles in. And lo and behold, it was George Kimball's house. And this old man pulled us on the porch, took us to a tour, told us a bunch of history. And it continued on. You get to Seguin at, right before dusk. And then the night started. And the, the thing about the night, it's like, it, this is where the mental, you're physically beat up. The mental game starts and it gets dark. You stop talking so much. You separate a little. And I come from more of a competitive background. So does Keith. And I'd done a lot of endurance events before this. And I, I would always just get in my zone, hunker down and push forward. And it was probably about three o'clock in the morning. And I was getting aggravated because I kept, making a big gap in between us. And I'm like, I wish this dude would just hurry up and catch up. And then part of me was saying, I just wish this dude would quit. That way I can just get after it, get in my zone and get after it, get to the Alamo. And I looked back and I could see a faint glow of his headlight. And he was probably a quarter mile behind me. So I turned around. I was like, I gotta get this son of a bitch. I get back there. I get to him. And Something clicked. It was, it was it was similar to that time in in the, in the car, and he was having a real hard time, and he didn't think he could he could do this. And I was I talked to him and I gave him some advice, some words of encouragement, and it was and he was able to get his, get off the edge and get back into the game. And it was right then that I knew that's what this whole deal is about. This isn't a race. This is about one man helping another man get through whatever challenge he's going through and pushing through that and accomplishing a goal that you started out to do. We did it that first year. We both completed great. The second year, I was like, dude, we got to do this again or this is dead. So we did it. And at about mile, I'd say 25 to 30, I took a hard spill and I rolled my ankle, my left ankle. And it, it hurt real bad. We got to Seguin. I couldn't walk at Seguin. And the table turned. Kenny was there for me, helped me push through whatever I did. We got an ankle wrap. We taped that son of a bitch up, and we just got after it. Every time I would stop, it would hurt like holy hell. And then once you started moving again, you know, you get the juices flowing and everything, the stiffness would go away. But if I – I wouldn't have been able to complete it without Kenny. And that like just solidified in concrete. That's what this is about. One man helping another. And then the next year we brought a whole group and this will, we're, we've done it four times. March 2nd will be uh well, we leave on March 1st a uh, week from now. And uh, this will be our fifth annual. Last year we got our first woman across, which was huge because she came to me saying she wanted to do it. And she was like, everybody's telling me I'm too small. I can't do this. And I was like, what do you think? She was like, I want to do it. And I was like, well, you can do whatever you want to do. And if 
if I got to pick your ass up and carry you across the finish line, I will. I will be there for you. But as soon as you say you quit, the guy that wants to do this, you know, if you're 100% going to quit, I'm going to put my energy where the guy that doesn't want to quit. And and that's where it all started. And last year, we we changed it from the Immortal 32 Ruck, which is an event, to Project Grit. And I have two events that we have on the books and I got four more that are on uh, the table we're working on putting out and they're all challenging events, ultra distance rucks where it's not a race. It's a team event. You know, we, our whole thing is battling mediocrity because that's where it had gotten for me is I I had gotten my life together. You know, I went from being, you know, a tragedy. And I triumphed through that. And I got to the other side and I got the wife, I got the kids, I got, I live on 10 acres in a beautiful hill country of Texas. And it's like, now what, you know, now what? And I felt like mediocrity had, 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 had come in. And so I had to challenge that and smash that. And, and that's, that's what Project Grit's all about. Well, no. And I think, for, for who I know is listening, what you just talked about for the last five to seven minutes, Terrence, is so powerful because when you started the, the Immortal 32, 75 miles, you just have to know it's not a race. It's a long, it's a long two days, right? Yeah. And I think when I think about some of the insurance producers who went to our industry, they view everything as a race. How quickly can I sell something? How quickly can I get to my sales goals? And when you're starting out in your career, you got to understand this is all, this is just a journey. It is not a race. Mm-hmm. And you just said the second thing, challenge mediocrity. If I go to your website today, I see three core values right on the, the beginning on the home page, challenge more mediocrity, embrace difficulty and unleash the power of teamwork. And I think that lesson you learned when you got far ahead of, uh, Hen- was it Henry Keith or Keith, excuse me, and realized, man, I got to go back and get them again. I, I look at our industry and there's a lot of people who think they can be a lone wolf who yeah. think they can, they can go far by going alone and you can't, and you need a team and you need to trust your team and you need to be a good part of the team. And so I think what you have been talking about is so applicable to this industry because it is easy to get complacent. Even a guy like you, whose life is so different than where it was 20 years ago, you even found yourself getting complacent and accepting mediocrity. And I see so many people in the insurance industry doing the same because they're unwilling to do difficult things. And you have a, a statement on your website I wanted everybody to hear, which is we challenge low expectations and cultivate resilience. Yeah. So I'd love for you to know a man who's gone through a lot. What does resilience mean to you? Resilience to me means the ability to do hard things, to the ability to like persevere through through a challenging obstacle that's in front of me. And, and it's not always just physical because I I remember a long time ago, like I thought, you know, here I am, some tattooed guy. I got a history, a backstory. And I remember this little old lady sharing about fear. And I was like, here I am, some fucking tough guy. And I got the exact same thing this little lady has. So it's not always just a physical thing. And and, and resilience is, is doing things that I don't want to do and getting through to the other side. You know, it, it, it forms that inner grit that, that 
now I know I can accomplish. If I can accomplish that, what if I can accomplish this? And it, and it just, you just keep going up the ladder with it. I do. I love that. Doing things I don't want to do and getting to the other side. And then a lot of that started like, I mean, I, you were talking about not doing it alone and that's where it started. I couldn't, I could have never, ever, I could have never got clean if it was just me on me. If I didn't have Kenny, I, I never, my whole thing is like the camaraderie in a community will give you the motivation to develop the discipline because the motivation only will last so long. Kenny can go away. You know, my community can go away. What am I going to do when I'm alone? If I don't have mm. that, if I don't have that discipline that that community will give me the motivation to develop. I can't, I can't get past whatever it is. And that's where it comes down to. I love that you just said that. What am I going to do when I'm alone? Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about it's the work you put in when no one is watching. Yeah. And that's exactly what you just said. It's you can have the mentors, the coaches, the team, the community, which you need. But that's great. What are you going to do when no one else is around? Are you yeah. still going to have the drive and the discipline when you're by yourself? And you think about those first couple rucks you and uh, Keith did. You're out in the middle of nowhere by yourself. We had no ride home. You had, ride that's a great home. way to put it. You had no ride home. And, you know, I see a lot of people enter ventures like insurance and they're already preparing to have a back out plan B if it doesn't work. But I challenge them to do what you just said. What if you entered it with the attitude? I got no ride home. I got to go and I got to do whatever I can to succeed because I am burning the boats and I am making sure I have no ride home because I'm going to force myself to succeed. And that requires you to get up every single day and do hard things. Absolutely. You know, you have a couple things, you know, I'm, and we're going to wrap up here. I want you to talk about these two events you're doing this year. I was looking at your Instagram and I saw you post uh, some quotes once in a while. And I'd love for you to expand on a couple of them. One of them, you said, if you're too big to do the small things, you're too small to do the big things. Talk about that. So... I, I, I've been in construction for a long time and my whole thing is I got to be authentic to my guys that work under me. I lead by example. And I was always the guy that like the worst job that nobody wants to do. I didn't want to do it either, but I, that's the job I would sign up to do because I knew a, it has to be done and B I know it'll get done if I do it. And the whole thing with that was like, it, I'm not afraid to sweep, sweep the floors, you know, and it's, I, we do jujitsu, me and my son. And uh, at the end of every, every night, somebody's got to mop the floors. And I'm always telling him, get your ass out there. If, if you can't go out there and mop that floor, you don't deserve to be on that floor, you know? And it's, it's, it's that whole thing. If, if you're too big to do the little things, you don't deserve to do the big things. Well, and that's also very much part of the, the power of teamwork. Absolutely. No one's greater than the other. I love that. And here's the other one. I, I'd just love for you to expand. It, it makes, it's pretty common sense, but I'd love for you to talk about because I love the quote. Read a book, show up early, stay late, run the extra mile, don't skip the gym, eat clean, pray fervently, study. This is not being obsessed. This is discipline. 
This is dedication. This is commitment to success. It's the sole difference between dreamers and achievers. Yeah. I love that, man. Talk about why you posted that. That, that to me sums up everything. So, yeah, I mean, it was like my whole experience, dude, because when I, when I first got clean, I, 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 none of those things I was, I was the complete opposite. And the, like when I got clean, the only thing I had to give up was everything. Hmm. And by adopting, it's like, okay, I've, I've been doing this for 31 years and look where this has gotten me. If I do the opposite of this stuff, what's going to happen? You know, and at that point in my life, I, I mean, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain, you know, and for, for me, okay, I, there's a, I was introduced to this idea of the medicine wheel, which is a Native American thing, and it's the mind, the body, the spirit, and the emotion. And if I go, I can, my goal in life is to grow that wheel as large as possible. And if I stick just in the physical, I will have an egg-shaped wheel, and my wheel will not roll through life evenly. When I just get into the mental aspect of it, egg-shaped wheel, spiritual, egg-shaped wheel. If I'm really emotional, egg-shaped wheel. So if I grow in all four areas, it's about balance. I will go through life smoothly. That Those 10 things are all things that I will grow my will. I need, I need to be reading books about how to, to better my life. I read pretty much all nonfiction. And I need to have a prayer life. I need to have some type of a spiritual life going on. You know, I need to, to hit the gym and eat right and, and take care of my body, you know, and I need to learn how to deal with and, and speak with other guys. That's a huge community thing with me and men is, is that's how I grow emotionally, you know. And so all those areas, you know, it's, it hits every quadrant on that medicine wheel. That's awesome, man. I love that. I love it. when I got clean, the only thing I had to give up was everything. That's <laughs> I can promise you that is going to be a, a, a statement I use to promote this episode because that was powerful. Let's wrap up by talking about the two events you got coming up. One is right around the corner. In fact, by the time this post, you might be running it. You've yeah. got the Immortal 32 Ruck, and then you've got the Top of the Texas Eight Peak Challenge. Talk about both of those events. One, I know we've covered a little bit, we but if somebody's listening that. in, I've got a lot of advisors, by the way, in Texas. If somebody's listening in, how can how can they talk about the events and how somebody could get involved? So all of our events, we are we do raise money. I have a if you go to my website, officialprojectgrit.com, if you don't want to participate in the event, right now this year we're raising money for Patriots Hall and Dripping Springs, which is it's kind of like a takeoff of the VFW hall where there's a lot of like therapeutic things, a lot of come right, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about going on that they're putting in an obstacle course and uh, we're raising money for them. And so there's a donation tab on there if you don't want to do one of my events. And there's also a sign-up. Mortal 32, we've already talked about, which kicks off March 1st at 2 a.m. You can follow us if you're interested. We'll be doing a bunch of Instagram Lives, official project, at official project grit. And uh, we'll be posting a bunch of stuff there. The top of Texas, we did the first one back in October, and what it is in Guadalupe Mountains National Park has the highest peak in Texas, which is Guadalupe Peak, and eight of the ten highest peaks are in that park, and 
we went in October. I, I'd been working on this for about two years. I d- developed a route that we could hit all those peaks in March. I mean, I'm sorry, October 23rd. I think we set out. We took off at 2 a.m. to climb Guadalupe Peak. And we ended up hitting eight peaks. We did a little over 10,000 feet of elevation gain, nine miles. It was a 27-mile journey. Nine miles of it was a bushwhack. <laughs> and it we were, we were going for a sub-24 hour. We did it in 24 hours and 30 minutes. But we did it. And the kicker with that whole deal was this is in West Texas and it's, it's pretty much a desert out there and there is no water. So there's nowhere to filter. There's no springs, none of that. So what you start with in that event, as far as nutrition and as far as water is what you have for the whole event. There's not really any bailout points. It was, it was a really tough event that we, uh, we accomplished so what you're telling me is the top of the Texas is peak eight peak is essentially a marathon. Yeah. It just so happens to cover eight peaks, 10,000 feet of elevation and no water. <laughs> good luck with that. So well, this has been awesome, Terrence. Again, thank you for taking the time. I, I hope if you're listening, you know, I, I believe as this airs, you'll probably be hosting the immortal 32 rock right at that time, but definitely, uh, I would want the listeners to to think about the top of the tech top of Texas AP because I believe that's in October, correct? Correct. Okay. And then if they want to raise, if they want to donate money, what what's the name of the charity again in Dripping Springs? It's Patriots Hall of Patriots Dripping Hall. Springs. There, if you go to my website, there's a tab, a donate tab. Okay, I'll make sure we put that in the show notes too. Last question. I'm curious to know this uh, for my listeners. Again, a lot of uh, younger insurance professionals maybe starting off in their careers, charting a new path. <clears throat> if you could go back to that moment when you got out of that car and decided to go into the AA room, the Terrence of 2024, if you had a chance to go back and speak to that Terrence in that moment, what would you say to him? That's a good question. Ah. Uh going to be it's going to be a crazy ride don't give up uh yeah man that's pretty much just don't ever fucking give up you know i I, I gotta believe there would be a sense of pride too i'm i I am proud of where i am today i'm not a prideful person but i am proud of the the obstacles i've overcome and i would be really excited to watch me on my journey from, from where I am today. Mm. And I have had the opportunity to work with guys that were me and to see them blossom and grow and get their lives together has been some of the best times of my life. You know, I love that you just, I'd love to be able to watch my own journey. Yeah. That I, I've heard people talk about it this way. What are you doing today to make your future self proud? And I think that's kind of what you're referring to, right? Knowing who you are today and what you've accomplished, going back to the guy getting out of the car, walking into the AA facility, that guy's going to have fun watching your journey for the next 20 years. Yeah. And that's really cool. Well, you've been an inspiration today, man. If you're if you're one of my listeners, I hope you took uh, notes and took to heart what 
Terrence had to say, you know, the reason I brought him on is because we believe to have success, you have to be able to do hard things every single day. And when you find yourself in an industry that honestly, it's easy to get complacent. It's a lifestyle industry. Those who decide to get up and face challenges and embrace them and lean into them every single day are going to leave everybody else in the dust. And I'm going to go back, Terrence, to end this episode by talking about the core values you show on your website, which is challenge mediocrity, embrace difficulty, and unleash the power of teamwork. You can't go alone. You got to do hard things every day and just do everything you can do to avoid being complacent. It's easy when you're making a lot of money, but do not avoid, do not let yourself get complacent. So Terrence, want to thank you again for this, uh, for the time you've given. I'm sure you have inspired a lot of people with today's conversation. I'm grateful for the opportunity, Andy. You bet, man. And for everybody else listening in, you know what happens when you mix clarity with confidence, you become consistent and you become unstoppable. So take what Terrence had to say and apply it to your life consistently and you will see a mass transformation in your results. Be good. That's all we got for today's episode of the Bullpen Sessions podcast. One thing that would really help us both and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen to the show. Also, make sure to link up with us at CompleteGameConsulting.com on social media, and please share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, clarity creates confidence, confidence creates consistency, consistency makes you unstoppable.